0: the sixth chapter, and um, I love to preach, I love to teach, and uh, this morning I kind of feel like I'll I'll be probably doing a little more teaching than preaching. And um, there are some things that I want to share with you uh, as we begin this morning to talk about new life resolutions, new life resolutions. Now this being um, a new year, and I know we're already basically have completed the first week of the new year. Um, Sometimes, you know, when it's like New Year's Eve or January 1st, um, the the talk of resolutions may carry a little more weight. Um, In some ways, I'm glad we're uh, now at the seventh day of this new year because resolutions are just as important today as they were a week ago, and they'll be just as important three weeks or three months down the road as they are um, this morning. There's a new quote that uh, I really like and that is, it has to do with our being reminded and that, the importance of being reminded even over in being instructed and you know, a lot of times we like to learn new things but at the same time we need to be reminded of old things and um, when it comes to resolutions these are things if we're not careful they'll quickly uh, be put out of our minds. But I want to go back to what I said. I didn't say New Year resolutions. I said New Life resolutions. And what inspires a New Year resolution is a new year. And because we have a new year in front of us, it's kind of like a, a, you know, a, a clean piece of paper, so to speak. It's like a blank slate. And um, there, I believe it's more than just the turning of the calendar page. I, I believe that it's, um, it's something even spiritual, something that's hardwired within us. And so when we stand at the beginning of a new year, um, we have lots of dreams and goals and, and ideas that formulate into a resolution of things that we want to do better, things that we want to do uh, different in the, in the new year moving forward. But again, this morning, I want you to, and especially if you're taking notes, I want you to write uh, those words down, new life resolutions. Because as born-again believers, we're not just standing uh, you know, on the precipice of a new year, but we have a new life ahead of us. Amen? Um, and uh, so that's what uh, the Bible talks about here in Romans, the sixth chapter. Let's read verse four. Um, I'll, I'll put it up on the screen. It says this, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised, was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now these things will be discussed in greater length um, a little bit more in the future but what the Bible teaches us about our salvation is that Jesus came as a substitute for us and what he did um, he did not to make himself right before God in the eyes of God but he did to make you and me right before God in the eyes of God. In other words, Jesus' righteousness, right standing was eternally established. So it wasn't about him making himself better uh, so to speak. It was about him coming to this earth as a representative and as a substitute for you and me to make you better, to make me better. And so what he did for us, he also did as us. That's why Paul said, I was crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. So the Bible teaches that you were crucified with him You were buried with Him. You were raised up together with Him to newness of life, to a new life. And that Ephesians 2 even says that you're seated together with Him now in heavenly places. So we have new life in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. We have new life in Him. Not not a revamping or refurbishing of the old, but a burying of the old life and an installing of a new spirit And a new life. So, not just in light then of a new year ahead, but in light of our new life ahead, I think there are some resolutions called for. Now, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians, the third chapter. A lot of times when we talk about a new year resolution or a new life resolution, um, we go to Philippians 3. Because in Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul talks about forgetting what's behind and pressing for what's ahead. And certainly, um, you know, those words and those verses are applicable 365 days out of the year, but they just tend to fit or mesh with this idea of a new year. But Paul was not making a new year resolution in these verses He was making a new life resolution and encouraging and inspiring all of us um, to do the same. Now, I want us to begin in verse number 7. So Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 7. And Paul says this, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. But what things were gained to me, These I have counted loss for Christ. Now, if we were to take the time this morning and and read the verses that came before this verse, we would read about Paul's accomplishments. We would read his resume, if you will. We would read about the things that he was the most proud of in the past. The, um, The hard work and effort that he had put into the life that he previously lived as a ruler in the Jewish religion, as a Pharisee among Pharisees, as one who excelled above all his equals in his own religion. This was a devout man. This was a committed man. This was a brilliant man who didn't just rest on the fact that he had a naturally uh, high IQ gifted by God, but he also worked feverishly and diligently for many, many years to develop um, his understanding and his knowledge to, to grow and to, and, to, and to develop in his understanding of the law and, and, the, and the Jewish religion. And yet it was all of these things, we could call them Paul's life accomplishments, if you will. The things that he had worked so hard to live up to and, and accomplish and the reputation that he had established because of those things. These are the things that he's talking about in verse 7 um, that were once gained. Notice he says, these things were, were gained to me, were gained. Not gained anymore, were gained to me. He says, these I have counted loss for Christ. Now, we're going to build some things this morning from these verses. But we have to understand, I think, first of all, the heart of the Holy Spirit, but also as... as the Holy Spirit's heart is being expressed through the the life and experience and heart of the Apostle Paul. In other words, these words are ultimately directed to you and me. Um, This is more than just Paul sharing his experience, but he is sharing his experience with us so that we can learn from his experience. He is um, trying to help you and me let's say it this way, not make some of the same mistakes that he made and not pursue life in a way that he pursued it. Now, if we were to each one be honest this morning, um, we've all chased after some things in our lives that we may regret chasing after now. Is that fair enough? In other words, we we all pursued a a way of life or or what we thought would bring us satisfaction and, and fulfillment in life and we went after those things, some maybe uh, with more intensity than others, but we went after them nonetheless, only to look back at a later point in our lives and realize that we were going after the wrong things. Now, for me, and I'm sure probably for you, um, we said amen just a moment ago because we went after things that maybe would be considered sinful or maybe would be you know, considered, uh, you know, in the end, a wrong path carrying us further and further away from God, I want you to remember that the Apostle Paul is talking about things like memorizing the Old Testament. He's talking about, you know, getting multiple degrees to put it in our common day language um, in Bible school and seminary and and, and doctorates of, of this and, and and PhDs in that. So when he's talking about the things that he's counting as loss that were once gained, he's, he's talking about things you know, that a lot of people even in in the current religious climate in which, you know, exists in the world today would be held and recognized as as great accomplishments. So again, Paul says the things that were gain, he has counted loss for Christ. Now, I think we probably all have at least a basic understanding of what the word gain means. Um, If you're a businessman or a woman in the room, uh, or not, you probably still understand the concept of profit, uh, something that would be considered uh, beneficial. So when Paul says things that were gained to me, he's saying things that he once considered to be advantages. Are you still with me now? Follow closely, please. Things that he once considered to be advantages, or things that he considered to be valuable are things that he considered to be worthy of his efforts and pursuits. Because again, the accomplishments that he lists are things that he devoted many, many years of his life towards accomplishing, towards achieving. And yet, he's saying now that there was a time in his life when he considered those things to be worthy pursuits and worthy of the effort that he invested into them. But now, he... um, is counting those things as loss for Christ. Now, let's go to verse number 8. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, rubbish is a PG-13 um, version of what he literally said here. And, and he used a very strong word um, to, to mean dung or excrement, okay? And um, I don't know the right way uh, to, to say that, okay? But, you know, <laughs> caca, poo-poo, whatever you want to say, amen. Uh, <laughs> that, that's what he's saying here. In other words, it, he didn't just say garbage. He didn't just say uh, rubbish, okay? But when in the original language, He used as strong a term as could possibly be used to communicate, are you ready? Waste. Waste, okay? He counts it all as a waste. He counts it all as a waste of effort, a waste of time um, because he realized that what he now had opportunity to gain was so much more valuable was so much more advantageous, was so much more precious, and was so much more worthy of his pursuit and effort. All right, now let's try to get something straight here for a moment, okay? Anything, because there's been times in my life when I look back on some of the years I spent in religion. And, and what I mean by religion... Uh, it's what we covered in great detail this past year, 2017. Um, by religion, I mean self-righteousness. Efforts on my part through my own behavior, through my own dedication to make myself right before God in the eyes of God. Um, when I look at some of the, 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 the years that I spent in, um, in ministry, amen, uh, full-time ministry, um, but in situations that were Amen. Let's just say less than what God has brought us into at this point and juncture in our lives. There were years in my life when I said that those years were wasted. And the Holy Spirit corrected me on that because those years were not wasted. They, they, were, they were years that I was learning. They were years that I was growing. They, they, were, they were years that uh, you know, helped me. In the In those years, I learned a lot of good things to do, <laughs> but I also learned a lot of good things not to do amen and all of that was instrumental in in forming and developing and and I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit couldn't have taught me those things faster and in different ways but aren't you glad he meets you where you are and um and if you're a little bit stubborn amen he'll he'll still try to teach you as best he can uh, in your stubbornness and so I would say that those years were wasted and and that would be in an That would be wrong. It was incorrect um, for me to say. They, They absolutely were not wasted. So to put this in perspective, what Paul is calling waste is only waste in comparison to what he is now pursuing in his life. And that is to know God personally and intimately. Something that was previously out of reach for him in that in the Old Testament, in the, in the, through the Old Covenant or through the, the the former religion or Jewish religion that he pursued, are you understand what I'm saying here so and, and so to kind of put that in perspective, one of the reasons why I said that was wasted is because what Father has me involved in now is so much more meaningful' it's, it's so much more productive um, I feel like uh, that other people, including you know, not just myself, but that other people are benefiting more and are experiencing more and receiving more from God compared to what I did before. So in that comparison, it's kind of like when he said, if you don't hate mother, father, uh, brother, sister, you understand what I'm saying, um, and, and love him, it's not that Jesus is preaching hate. He's just saying that one is so much higher than the other that in comparison it would appear to be does that make sense okay now what was a waste for me and I believe Paul would amen me on this if he were here this morning is that he went about these things with the wrong attitude he he, in words, he didn't have the right focus the right intent in his heart so in other words if I'm trying to make myself right before God in the eyes of God by all the sacrifice and all the service and all the study and all the memorization and, and, and trying to impress by, by excelling above everybody else and these kinds of things. Well, that attitude, that's rubbish. That's a waste. And if God had not set me free from that, there's no telling where I would be today. And so I'm, I'm sure that that was a part of Paul's testimony, so to speak. In other words, that was rubbish. But thank God, it, it, man, I I still learned things during all that um, that that benefit me greatly now. Are you understand what I'm saying? In other words, your, your heart can be wrong, but God still bring benefit from that. So memorizing the book of Galatians when I was 15, uh, because I competed in something called Bible quiz, I, I, that made me a Bible nerd, I guess. Um, but, but one of the driving factors behind that was because of the recognition I got from just beating the pants off of everybody. Are you understand what I'm saying? So if they're going to ask me 150 questions from the book of Galatians, then if you memorize the book of Galatians, you've got a pretty good chance of getting all 150 correct. Are you, are, you, are you following what I'm saying? All right. So, but again, because my attitude was wrong, that was a waste. But knowing it now, are you following what I'm saying, is great gain, is great benefit. So when we look at all that Paul learned in the Jewish religion... Oh my God, thank you so much, because that wealth of background and experience provided the basis for an individual through the Holy Spirit to be able to write the book of Romans. And I believe to write the book of Hebrews. And, and of course to write Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and First and 2 Corinthians, and First and 2 Thessalonians. Okay, I spent way more time on this part than, than perhaps was necessary. But I'm trying to get you to understand what he's saying here. So when Paul says that there are things that were gained that he considered to be advantage, that he considered to be valuable, that he considered to be worthy of his effort and pursuits, but not anymore, because he counts all those things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Verse 8, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, notice that last phrase, that I may gain Christ that I may gain Christ, this prize above all prizes, this treasure above all treasures, this pearl of great price, this this one pearl that's worth all other pearls, that's worth the sacrifice of everything else. Did Jesus not teach us about these things? The pearl of great price, the man who found the treasure in the field, and the one who sold everything to buy the field to get the treasure, the one who sold everything to buy that one pearl. He had a collection of pearls. He had pearls from every, uh, you know conceivable uh, style, type, what have you, uh, that you can imagine. But he sold every one of his massive collection of pearls to gather the money together to buy the one pearl. Amen. And Jesus is that one pearl. He is the pearl of great price. He is the only thing that's worthy of everything else being sacrificed in your life to receive. This is what Paul is saying here. Notice verse 8 doesn't end with a period. Period that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So he's saying that I may gain Christ. Paul is now talking about, and I I may need you to trust me on this one for a moment because we got to lay some foundation from the verses that are to come to really make this case. But I want to go ahead and interject it now. I want to go ahead and put this on the table now so that when we read the rest of this, it will, you know, provide or shed that light on it for you, okay? So what Paul is talking about here, that that he may gain Christ, he's talking about the mindset necessary to profit or benefit from your salvation. Now, I know for some of you that may seem like a stretch, but again, um, there's a lot of verses here that, that all are connected in what Paul is saying. So I want to go back to it. Paul is ultimately talking about the mindset, the attitude that is necessary for you and for me to benefit or experience the profit, the gain, that is available to us because of our salvation. Now one of the things that I am very passionate about is to see men and women who've been born again experience in their life reality all that Jesus paid such a high price for you and for me to have. He bled to death naked on a cross so that your body could be healed. He bled to death naked on a cross so that you could have a sound mind and emotions He bled to death naked on a cross so that you could have the joy of God to overflowing measure in your life and the peace of God that passes all understanding, guarding and protecting and nurturing and bringing health to your mind. Are you understanding what I'm saying this morning? He bled to death naked on a cross so that you could certainly be forgiven, but not just be forgiven from your sins, but to have your consciousness purged from the guilt of your past sins. And... Own and own and own the benefits, the rights, the privileges, the advantages that belong to us now. Things that have been given to you, according to 1 Corinthians, that you don't even know are yours. That you don't even know you have. It, it, is, it is literally beyond the ability of the human brain to comprehend the position that you're in now because you've been born again, what belongs to you now because you've been born again, what you've inherited because you were an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus through the new birth. Amen. And far too many born-again believers are living beneath their right and privilege. They're living beneath the life and lifestyle of abundance and prosperity and wholeness and soundness that Jesus paid such a high price for us to live and experience. Freedom, come on now, somebody say freedom. Freedom, amen. Whom the Son has set free is not working towards freedom. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Free indeed. Amen. So what Paul is saying here is that there is an attitude, there is a mindset, there is a strategic focus that we must have if we're going to profit or benefit from our salvation. Bill Winston said it this way. He said, without the renewing of the mind, without the renewing of the mind, we will miss out on the vast majority of what belongs to us as born-again believers. In other words, it requires a new mindset to go along with your new spirit to enjoy in your life reality. Not what we're waiting on God to give us. The Bible says you have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, Ephesians 1 and 3. In other words, what he has already given to you. Now, let's keep going because I want to point it out. It's on the screen if you're not following along in your, in your Bible. The end of verse 9 ends with a semicolon. So in other words, the sentence continues. And because the sentence continues, the thought continues. continues. Let me read verse 9 again. And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, I'm going to break it down for you Um, more but verse number 11 is not talking about come on now let's get this he's not talking about once his physical life expires and then he would be raised up in the rapture or at the last trump when the bible says the dead in Christ will, will rise a lot of people look at the way this was translated and they think that he's talking about life after death That is absolutely positively not what he's saying here. He's talking about living the life that is available to him now while in this mortal body. The newness of life that we've been raised up together with Jesus. Remember we read that in Romans 6. He says that we've been raised up together with him to newness of life. And so when Paul is talking about attaining to the resurrection from the dead, he's talking about laying hold of that quality of life, that condition of life, this newness of life, and living that out, walking that out, not one day in heaven, but right here on planet earth. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So do you notice, the, and one of the key words is verse 11 talks about um, his aspirations to attain and, and resurrection from the dead. And then verse 12 says, not that I've already attained. Well, I mean, <laughs> how could he lay hold on resurrection from the dead if this is speaking of life after physical death? How could he say, you know, I haven't laid hold of that yet, but I hope to attain? Well, I mean, you know, I'll tell you, if, if he's only talking about resurrection from the dead, then, you know, just go turn yourself over to the Jews that are trying to kill you, Paul, and you'll get there real quick, sir. That's not what he's talking about here. So, again, verse 12, letting the Bible interpret itself, translate itself. Paul's not talking about something to be attained after his physical death but something to be attained after his spirit was made new and raised up together with Jesus. So he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. So this word attain, before we go any further, the word attain is perhaps best defined in verse 12, the end of that, where he says that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He's talking about the effort that we put, that you put, that I put, towards pressing and pursuing and seeking to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of you. In other words, I like to say it this way. Because Jesus has got a hold of you now, there are things within reach that were previously out of reach. There are things now available to you that you can lay hold of in this life that were previously unavailable to you, unattainable for you, impossible for you to ever lay hold of and experience in your life reality. So one way of saying this is, you know, Paul is going after what Jesus paid such a high price to give him. It would be like somebody buying you a really nice, really expensive gift, and you're not even bothering to unwrap it. You're not even bothering to open it up, or let's say you do open it up, and you begin to, you know, at least, let's say you tear one end off the package, and you begin to realize what's in that package, and you say, well, you know, it's, it's kind of a bit much right now, we'll get to this later. i got more important things to do right now than finish opening up this package, or to actually take this package and unbox it and begin to apply it to my life, to begin to incorporate this new gift into my life reality. So this is what Paul is talking about. It doesn't make the gift any less yours if it's still under a tree somewhere with your name on it, given to you by someone else waiting for you to unwrap it, take advantage of it, and begin to incorporate it into your life. So, in the same way, what you 've been given you 've been given by grace, what belongs to you it belongs to you by grace, and the Bible says that time God gives you something it 's without repentance, meaning he 'll never change his mind he 'll never take it from you now, the enemy 's going to try to to cancel it out the enemy 's going to try to trick you and deceive you and lie to you and make you think it 's not for you, and so forth and so on, and, and get us focused on other things that are not advantageous and, and so you know so to speak. But again, it's yours. It's yours. And so Paul is saying, look, I'm I'm putting forth tremendous effort now. Remember, he put forth tremendous effort in the past, pursuing things that had no gain, that had no advantage in the end, that were not worthy pursuits, that were not worth his time and energy and effort. So he's saying, I'm transferring all of that effort and energy to a new goal towards a new prize, towards attaining something else. He attained the recognition. He attained the reputation. He attained all that that past life offered to Him. Right? But He's counted all that as garbage now. He's counted all that as waste now. And He's refocusing His efforts. He's refocusing His energies and His intensities on going after this pearl of great price, on laying hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of Him. I'm not here to throw rocks at anybody. If we're honest, I think we'll all be guilty of this in the past. And what I'm referring to is going after worthless things with greater determination and intensity than we go after the things of God. Are you with me this morning? Man, when we were out in the world, we'd party all night. When we were out in the world, some of us would party for days. Now we come into the kingdom and two services on a Sunday is unreasonable. Amen or amen? me? Are you following the saying here? When we were going after things that are now considered a waste of our time, effort, energy, resources, think of the money that we spent. Now it's like a tithe. Are you kidding me? Now it's like an offering. Are you kidding me? It's all that church is about is money. We never said that's all the crack dinner was about. We never said that. Are you following what I'm saying? I'm not trying to bust your chops. I'm just trying to show you something here. Paul is speaking to us. Paul is pointing out the intensity, the effort that he invested, that he poured into his former life. And he says, I count that as waste now, but I am pressing I am pushing, I am reaching, I am striving, I am digging, I am running, I am churning, I am going after with everything that I have with as much intensity and even more to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Amen. Would to God we got more excited about being able to lay our hands on sick people and sick people recovering and going after that and pursuing that with the same or greater intensity that we used to chase the opposite sex around or whatever. You understand what I'm saying here? This is is the point that Paul is driving home. So he said he pressed toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm out of time, but let me... I want to pull something up on the table this morning. And that is, the focus of the verses that we just read in Philippians 3 is often overlooked. To be honest with you, I have overlooked it for years. And so... Because we often study the Bible a theme at a time or a few verses at a time or a principle at a time, often we miss the bigger picture of a lot of verses and what all of those verses are pointing to like a giant index finger, you know, pointing like right there, right there, right there. And I'm offering to you this morning that the focus of the verses in Philippians 3 is verse number 10. Verse number 10 says this, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. Of course, verse 11, we've read that already. I'm not trying to leave it out. I'm just wanting us to focus on verse 10. One more time. That I may know Him. Three things. That I may know Him. That I may know the power of His resurrection. And that I may know the fellowship of His sufferings. Now let me try to show you what I mean about this verse being the focus of all the others. Paul's testimony is that he willfully walked away from all his accomplishments and counted all else as worthless garbage. Why? That he may know Christ. Not so that he could have a big ministry. Not so that he could be known as, you know, as, as, a, as a Christian founding father. In other words, when he came over into Christianity, he didn't come over into Christianity to establish a reputation for himself. That was one of the things that he recognized as, as you know, causing him to miss Jesus when Jesus was on the earth because he was more interested in his reputation, what other people thought about him, than the truth that was standing in front of him speaking to him in the form of, of Jesus himself. So why did he walk away from everything? He walked away from everything that he may gain Christ. That's what he said, right? So knowing him according to these verses, is the key to walking in the full measure of what it means to be raised up to newness of life in Christ Jesus. In other words, that point about attaining to the life that's available, are you know what I'm saying? Words, did, I, did that inspire anybody this morning? In other words, are you interested in laying hold of some of those things in 2018? Paul said the key to laying hold of those things is to know Jesus is to know Him. To know Him, to know the power of His resurrection, and to know the fellowship of His sufferings. So again, that I may know Him, that's, that's the focus of this. If you read it carefully, you will see that knowing Him, knowing the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, this is what Paul was pressing towards. This is what he was pursuing. The upward call, the highest call of God is for you to know Him personally and intimately. The invitation that Jesus extended to each one of us was to come to Him. We're laboring. We're burdened. Life is chewing us up and spitting us out. Jesus says, come to Me. I'll make it stop. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me. Be in relationship with me. Come know me. That's what Jesus was saying. Come know me. He said in John 17, this is eternal life, that we may know you, Father, and the Son whom you have sent. The mindset to know him is a key characteristic of maturity in born-again believers. Singers, musicians, if you would come, please. Hallelujah. This is my last statement this morning on this subject, okay? The mindset to know Him, to know Him, to know the power of His resurrection, to know the fellowship of His sufferings. Paul said this is a key characteristic of maturity in believers. Verse 15 says this Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. What mind? It's very easy for us to say, well, the mind of forgetting what's behind and pressing for what's ahead. But in the context, forgetting what was behind for Paul was forgetting what he was now counting as garbage and pressing for what was ahead. What what did Paul see as being ahead? Worthy now of his pursuits. Worthy now of effort to gain. Worthy now to be able to lay hold of. It wasn't personal prosperity. It wasn't you know, all the benefits and advantages that certainly are available to us. But the great gain that Paul counted worthy of a sacrifice of everything else was to know Him. To know Him. Now, he says this is a key to maturity. Come on now, you still with me? This is a key to maturity. Let me try to say it another way. An immature believer is only interested in what they can get from God. But a believer who is maturing is realizing that this is more than just getting something from Him to make your life a little more bearable. But a mature believer is beginning to realize, man, we don't just have goodies available to us, we have Him available to us. A mature believer is one who's realizing, you know what, this is, God is more than a consultant for me. He desires to be a friend to me, a father to me. He longs to have a personal, intimate, close relationship with me. This is progressing over into that maturity. I call it the difference between seeking the hand of God Versus seeking the face of God. If you only seek the hand of God, that means you're you're you're, you're coming after God for whatever God can do for you, for whatever help He can give you, for whatever prayer He can answer for you. I'm not saying that's wrong. God loves to give good gifts to His children. But again, a sign of maturity is what Paul's talking about here. A sign of maturity is when somebody says, you know what? There's a face behind this hand. There's a person behind this hand. There's a goodness behind this good hand. Amen. And I think I want to know Him. I was praying for Brother Terry uh, last Sunday morning. And it just overwhelmed me as, as we were praying and continuing to agree together for His complete and total healing. And I said out loud, I said, I want to know the one who can put a new hip and pelvis in a man's body. Not just asking... God to, to touch him and do that. But I want to know the one who can do that. Face, hand, face, hand. Are you seeing the difference there? Amen. Those who are going to help serve communion, if you would, please come. Praise the name of the living God. You get anything out of this? Man, I'm wanting these things to, 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 to really focus, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, focus, form and, 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 and uh, direct and Uh, our focus as we move into a new year. I want this 2018 to be the year that we know Him like never before. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, as we prepare to serve and receive communion, we thank you for the things that you're you're speaking to us this morning about. We thank you that you're drawing us, Lord, into a greater understanding of of pursuing your face and, and knowing you and the power of your resurrection, and the fellowship of your sufferings, and exactly what that means. And so, Father, we just say thank you for what you've made available to us, what you've within reach for us, and may we be motivated and inspired, Lord, not just by the the, the words of a preacher preaching or a teacher teaching, but, Father, may we be inspired by your words, the words of life, and by your Holy Spirit who dwells within us. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Praise God. The men are going to begin to serve you this morning. If you're a guest with us, we would love for you to partake in communion with us. Um, We're a kingdom church here, we're the body of Christ, so you may be a member of another church, but but if you're a member of the body of Christ, then please partake of communion this morning. If you're served first, please hold your emblems until everyone has been served, and then we'll partake together. Amen. Remain worshipful as as they sing, and lead us in worship as they're serving.